Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Michael Franti. Michael is an incredible musician. Uh, I've been a fan of his music now for uh, about 20 years, and in addition, he's also an incredible human. I think he really represents what it means to celebrate our humanity. And in this episode, we go really deep on a lot around his wellness practice, actually. He's 54 years old, and he just had a new child, and he has two grown children, and he had a a bit of a personal reckoning after years of touring that uh, he really wanted to take his, his health to the next level. And he shares some really profound insights on his health routine, some of which I'm actually going to incorporate into my own life. We also go into a mindset around uh, how we kind of survive and thrive during this uh, challenging time. We're recording in the era of COVID, but regardless of what that challenge is, I think some really helpful insights, as well as uh, a greater conversation around the notion of our shared human possibility and Michael's work traveling to places like uh, Iraq during the war and now living in Bali and what he's creating there. So I think you'll get a lot of value out of this episode. It was a real treat for me to record and to connect. Um, It's one of my favorite recent episodes. So I hope you get a lot of value. This episode is brought to you by a new partner and a partner I'm very, very excited by uh, called One Farm. One Farm, I've been using uh, CBD regularly because of... uh, the cannabinoid system I've talked about before on the podcast, but endocannabinoid system is is integral to our health, and it's been something that I've used. Um, I had previously had anxiety when I was uh, much younger. In fact, I had an anxiety disorder, but I choose to not use medication, but I found that CBD has been extraordinarily helpful for me. I think especially during these times where we're, we're amidst this sort of collective period of mourning and I'm in my own, uh, you know, process, and whilst exercise and all of these different uh, aspects of life have been core to my routine, I found that CBD has been a really great uh, aspect to, to sort of assuage my sense of anxiety, as well as just to bring an overall sense of balance. And so, what I love about One Farm is it's one of the, if not the highest quality product I've come in contact with in the market as it relates to CBD, because. They literally handpick every plant. Uh, it's their, their attention to detail and attention to quality is unparalleled. And so I've been really into their uh, lemon-flavored drops. Everything's organic, of course, um, and as well as their cream. So they have a they have an anti-inflammatory turmeric-based cream, which I've been using um, for my skincare routine, and it's been next level. So I uh, highly recommend you check them out. I'll be talking about them a little bit in episodes to come. And uh, I'm a really big fan. Uh, if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, it's again onefarm.com, and it's Peak Mind at checkout. Uh, you'll be directed uh, to to the Peak Mind uh, store on the site, and you can get 20% off your order. So I think you'll find it uh, really, really amazing. And uh, I hope you check it out. With that, it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, the one and only Michael Ferranti. All right, I'm here with Michael Franti. Michael, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, my man. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Uh, now you are, as we record this, at Solshine, right? Your your yeah. beautiful uh, hotel in Bali, yeah. and we are currently recording amidst the coronavirus pandemic. But I've been 
I've been following you uh, on the socials, and you've been you've been definitely using the time well. Um, how have you been? Uh, how have you been approaching this sort of this period of collective challenge in terms of uh, your mindset? Well, the first thing is, um, I guess I and and my family, we all had to go through kind of a period of grieving. You know, it was like um, we have had four friends who passed away from Corona. We went from being just about to launch the biggest tour that we've ever done in my career. And um, in all the years when I was touring, I uh, was thinking to myself, you know, someday this might dry up. So I better put eggs in another basket, which is to start a hotel, (laughs) 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 which opened uh, 10 years ago. And started off with five rooms. We grew to 16 rooms. And now we have 32 rooms, all of which are empty. <laughs> so, um, it's a great uh, cosmic joke. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like we went from um, feeling really, really awesome about things to, to just having the, like, like everybody. I mean, we're no different than anybody else. Everybody's had their, their livelihood pulled out from under their feet, had their own questions of how they're going to survive this um, pandemic just from a spiritual perspective of being home and being in isolation and missing people and and that deep intense sense of loneliness when you feel like you and you just your couple people are the only people that you get to see in the whole world and um, as someone who is used to playing music for thousands of people every night six months of the year um, it's been it's been rough and and then my own physical health uh you know, I'm, I'm 54 years old and I have a newborn son. He's, he, well, he's not newborn. He's 20 months now, but you know, it's like, I want to be around for my kid, you know? And I'm, I'm like, how do I stay well? Um, and what does wellness mean in the COVID era? So if before it just meant like, you know, I'm going to eat an organic salad once or twice a week, I'm going to go to a yoga class on Saturday. I'm going to go maybe lift weights once a week. You know, now it's like if if you aren't uh, taking care of yourself, you could fucking die, you know, and that's a new thing for someone who's, you know, for I'm uh, who's 54. I was thinking, man, you know, I got this. I got the next 50 years. No problem. (laughs) But now (laughs) you're not now you're not so sure. And and so part of our. um our COVID plan has been to really take care of ourselves physically and then also take care of ourselves creatively so that we're not, um, uh, I think that's another part of wellness is to, is to feel like you have a creative voice and some kind of outlet that isn't just watching Netflix that, that helps you to get through, um, the time. So we've been doing a lot of content creation. That's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been following the content. I mean, I think creatively, like watching you and and your wife and and your beautiful child sort of in Bali, but also pushing yourself, man. I respect that a lot. So Mm -hmm. I I had a similar challenge. I I haven't shared this with you and I don't, don't mean it in a, in a, you know, in a weighty way, but my, I I actually have spent this time, my, my father, which I think I shared with you last, last we saw each other. I think we met about Mm -hmm. 10 years ago now, but, um, my father actually, who's been suffering with dementia, um, he actually just passed away about a month ago. So during mm. this COVID period, uh, you know, my my heart um, wow. 
left. He departed in physical form. Mm-hmm. But I really, I would just want to touch on that because you had mentioned a few friends who had lost their loved ones. And mm-hmm. I do think what you started with is so powerful to talk about because, you know, that notion of redefining wellness in the COVID era uh, has been acutely up for me based on what I've been seeing, what I witnessed with my dad. And then uh, also that notion of connection. I was blessed mm-hmm. to be able to be by his side. I was so lucky. Uh, because I know a lot of people out there, um, and as, as a man, I know who, who takes connection seriously. I always see you giving hugs and you yeah. know, your bare feet and, you know, to, to see other, I was, I felt lucky because I got to be there, you know, in the house my dad grew up in that he built the memories in and to hold mm. his hand and I got to hold his heart when he took his last breath. And for me, that was a gift, mm-hmm. but I feel so, so much for people whose elders, you know, no funerals, no weddings, no graduations. And yeah. like, other folks who have elders that are in, um, you know, behind glass or, you know, maybe in a hospital, mm-hmm. they can't even go see them. And so that notion of connection, which I feel like you were, you know, which I feel like is so much a part of your ethos. Yeah. We're being, we're being shown just how connected we are. And, yeah. and unfortunately in a, in a deeply challenging way, um, showing how, how much we need it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and as someone I feel like who at least, and I've been following your work now for almost 20 years, but who, who's such a deep stand for connection and for mm-hmm. humanity and what it means to be human. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super interested to, to sort of see how you're approaching that. And I also want to honor as someone, you know, I'm 43. So, but, but what, what my dad watching his decline has showed me is also, it's been a real wake up call for me around like, mm-hmm. how do I want, you know, let's call it the back 40 or whatever, the second yeah. half of life. If I'm lucky and blessed and make the it back the, 60, what brother. Do I want? Yeah, <laughs> what, exactly. What do, I, what do I want it to look like? And what, how do I take my health differently? Like I, I, I hopefully, yeah. you know, God willing, a blessing. I have a child and a, and a partner at some point in the not so distant future. Same thing, man. I don't want to be, yeah. you know, I don't want, I want to be there energetically. So how are you approaching, um, how you, how are you looking at this notion of, you know, wellness, obviously, like you said, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of times we just thought about it like an organic salad, but yeah. it sounds like you have a much more holistic view. What's, what's your sense of it now? Well, you know, um, what you were bringing up is, uh, uh, about your dad, my dad passed away. It's been 16 years now. And, um, I remember going through the process of grieving, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, music was a big part of that for me there was this one song that I just randomly came across, which is, uh, uh, the sweetest thing by you two, you know, the song, Whoa, Whoa, the sweetest thing, which for me, I always thought I love you too. I always thought it was like a great song, but for whatever reason, when that song came on, I just burst into tears and I was driving somewhere. I had to pull over on the side of the road and I put the song on again, uh, over and over again. And I just cried and cried and cried until I couldn't cry anymore. And, um, I would get on my yoga mat and I'd practice yoga and I'd put that same song on really loud in my studio and same thing. I would cry until I couldn't cry anymore. And, um, I learned what it through that process of what it means to have ease of heart. And what that means to me is whatever it is that you're feeling that it's able to pass to you with ease. And when we get, when I get sick, it's always connected to something that's going on in my life that's stuck. You know, there's some like emotional thing and it comes out in me in a physical way. I get a cold, I catch whatever flu is coming around. 
uh, and then I can't sleep at night because I'm worried. And then the less I sleep, the more susceptible I become to every little bug that, that is out there. But mainly I just don't feel right. I don't feel good. And so wellness is, is part of how you feel physically and like, are you susceptible? Is your immune system um, firing the way it should be? But the way that you feel inside affects so much how your immune system then is able to cope with things that's going with things that are going on. And it, it, it sounds a little bit like mumbo jumbo, but it's not for me. It's just like, if I don't fucking sleep, I get sick period. And if I don't, and if I have something that's weighing on my heart, I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. So, uh, a year ago in June, I started, um, working with a woman named Christina Farias, who's, who was a fan. And she just wrote to me, she said, Hey, Michael, I'd love to help you get in shape. She sent me a DM on Instagram. She said, I came to your show last night. I'd love to help you get in shape. And I was like, the fuck? I am in great <laughs> shape. Like, what are you talking about? And then, that was my first inner voice. Right. 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 And, and then she wrote back kind of something to the fact of your show is so energetic and, and I'm sure you could be better if you, if you weren't carrying as many pounds around your belly, basically what she was trying to say, you know? Um, and, and so I wrote her back and we had a conversation she said, you know, um, health and fitness is all about habits. So everything we do as human being is about habits, whether it's like, you know, we wake up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we make our bed or, or we go to work, we eat, drink our coffee, we eat at a certain time of day. And, and even if our habits aren't great, they just become this groove that we slip into. So for me, my habits at the time were, um, first of all, not sleeping at night, getting up um, early on tour, going out and, and doing promotion, not eating anything healthy. Uh, noon would come around and I'd be super tired and I would just grab whatever was the first thing. It could be a bowl of M&Ms. It might be like a, a, you know, a big sandwich or something. And, and I just wasn't thinking about it, but really what I was eating was all these things that made me, uh, who, that was super low on, um, fuel. I would just grab this thing. It would give me like this quick burst of energy. And then I would usually crash after sound check. I would just have this like, Ooh, emotional dive. I'd take a nap, get up, get ready to do the show. And, and, and not really be conscious of my eating or my training or anything like that. And then go do the super physically exhausting show, meet a hundred fans and, and hug them all after the show. And then try to go to sleep after having a couple margaritas, because that would be the one thing that would like kind of like knock me out. But then for me, tequila is something that it wakes me up two and a half hours after I drink, I fall asleep and then boom, I'm like wide awake the whole night. And I was doing that for like years, you know, and, um, was a lot of pizza in between, you know, <laughs> and yeah, I know, so, I know that journey. Yeah. So, so I had put on about, uh, I, I was up to two, uh, one day I stepped on the scale and I was two, I'm six foot six. I was 240 pounds and, and uh, the, the scale was still going up and I jumped off the scale before it landed. It was probably, you know, 243, 244, but I was so scared to see what it was. I was like, I got to get off. And so, um, so I started working with her and she said, um, what we're going to learn is not how to get fit. We're going to learn about being well. And what being well, it means is that 
you can change the habits that you have to create habits that make you feel better and make you feel happier. And, and so she said, it's, it takes six weeks to uh, change a habit and it takes six months for it to become instinctive. And if you do it for a year, it will become part of like your habitual DNA and you won't even have to think about it anymore. And so we changed the way I ate. I started training uh, five days a week, uh, put together a little podcast, a little um, uh, box. I say podcast because it's like my little podcast box, but a little box of weights and rubber bands and a Pilates ring and a yoga mat and stuff. And um, since last year, I've gone from 240 plus pounds down to 208 pounds. Um, wow. But the main thing is that I've been able to create habits where I still like I train every day now. I eat really well. I don't have to think about it. Um, when I cheat and eat like a candy bar or something or a bar of chocolate, I, I know like Saturday is going to be the day when I'm going to do that. And I do it with intention. And then I know Sunday I'm going to be back on the path. So um, where, where that's changed with wellness is um, a big part of my a big part of my health journey with Christina was she said, you have to sleep more. And so I got a Fitbit watch, which measures your heart rate, measures how many steps you do, but also measures how much you sleep each night. And, um, she said, if it, we started out, I it started out, I was only sleeping, um, three to four hours a night. She's like, you've got to get it up to like five and then five and a half hours. And then I had a little backslide where, because she could, she'd follow along through the app. She could see whether I was sleeping or not. And she'd be like, I noticed you're not sleeping. So what we're going to do is if you don't sleep five and a half hours, you can't train tomorrow. And I really, like, I was really into it. I was really, like, inspired to train. So it became this thing where, like, oh, man, I've got to, like, get the rest. Because she was like, if you don't sleep, what you do to your body after that is going to, is going to be wearing it down more than it is going to be building it up. And so, um, where the uh, new wellness component comes in for me during the COVID era is I've never felt more stress in my life than what's going on Mm -hmm. now. I feel worry for the entire world because I think perhaps this is the new normal. Maybe we'll are are all going to have to walk around with like space helmets on hooked up to an oxygen thing and hazmat, you know, blue jeans in order to live life. And, um, I don't want to live in a world that way, you know, and I, I want us as a collective body to commit to, to quarantining to, I want us as a collective body to, to commit to a new normal where we take health and, and wellness more seriously, not only for ourselves and our bodies, but for the whole planet. And, um, because if we don't, there's going to be something that comes down the next virus that's even stronger than Corona. And um, I, I really hope that that's not the future that we're facing. I really hope that this time is a wake up call for all of us. Yeah. On that point, I, I mean, I, I think you're spot on. I feel like in a way, the great guy in intelligence is, is sort of giving us a little bit of a, a manageable, but for real mm-hmm. check in. Yeah. And, uh, and I think things like cl- climate change for many feel so abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a virus is, it, it's something you, you very quickly kind of understand, but it's, 
is interesting. Obviously, there's the acute physical aspect, which I have empathy, deep empathy for all of those and, and the family members of all those who are going through it. And and then there's this kind of like, as you said, and, and this is one of the things that I admire about you is I feel like you focus a lot on humanity and mm-hmm. humanity, both as an inner vessel, as, 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 uh, both a well, a, a microcosm, if you will, of the great macrocosm, which is the mm. planet and, and, yeah. and that great guy in intelligence. Now, without getting too far afield, I, I feel like this is that I, I my personal belief is that, you know, there's a consciousness and that ideally we are seeking to w- wake up to ourselves. And mm-hmm. I think I'm rooting for humanity to make yeah. it. And I think that these are. You know, these are one of the ways in which uh, oftentimes I feel like nature seeks seeks that. I, I studied w- with a traditional healer in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and I, I'll just share this briefly. But he, I think you'll appreciate it because he was a he was a musician actually. That was that mm-hmm. was integral to the medicine. And in and in Sri Lanka, there was no word for privacy and there's no word for possession. So mm-hmm. you exist in relationship to the whole. And when a f- person falls out of wellness, as we were discussing, or out of what he would call balance. He mm-hmm. said their heart rhythm, the rhythm of their heart would, would get off rhythm. And so yeah. from sunset to sunrise, he would ritually recreate. I mean, what we, it blows my mind. What we would consider a master artist. He was like a master artist of 17 different things, but kind of like in Bali, it wasn't about him at all. Like well, there's yeah. no ego associated. It was just like, that was what was necessary to orchestrate, to bring back that balance in the collective yeah. because the health of the individual who had fallen out of balance was integral to all of the other mm-hmm. folks, because it wasn't me and you, it was we, right? And yeah. so I think one of the gifts, because I try to see silver linings in any cloud, is I hope that we do find that notion and see the, the fallacy of our uh, individuality in many ways mm-hmm. and, and actually wake up to the collective that we are uh, yeah. and, and, hopefully get, and hopefully get on this um, this human train in a way that's more aligned with, uh, with mother nature, uh, and, and with each other, uh, mm-hmm. because that's, that's the other thing that's interesting to me is, you know, in more microcosmic form, like you said, if this is the new normal, do we start to associate others as something we're fearful of, you know, mm-hmm. like, because it's like you, it, like now, I don't know how it is in Bali, but like, you know, it's, it's, you know, in California, it's, it's, but definitely, like, there are people now that are just scared of you. Like, you are, uh, they yeah. see another human as, as, a as an A big walking threat. bag of germs. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So, I think, anyway, but you I'm know, I think what you, what, what, you're Sorry, talking about the, uh, what you're talking about, like, the collective consciousness. Like, it used to be, you know, for those of us who have been in, like, the mindfulness community for decades, it, it was kind of like this thing of, you know, like, one love and, like, we're all together. We're all this one thing. And, and it's, it's hard for a lot of um, just people who don't come from that experience to understand. And, but what it is now, it, it, it's becoming very clear. It's like you're only as healthy as the sickest neighbor you have. Yeah. So if, if we're not all um, living our best life and taking care of ourselves and we're exposed to our neighbors – then, then we're, we could be sick. So if, you know, I live in Hunter's Point in San Francisco and we have a very high incident of there of, uh, of COVID-19 and it's in part because our community, uh, doesn't have the health resources that other communities do. And it's, uh, 
you know, a poorer neighborhood economically, um, rich culturally, but poor economically. And, um, and people don't eat well. It's, it, there's, there's just myriad social issues that lead to there not being the wellness that other neighborhoods have who have, who have more means. And, um, and so we have to like, think of that as, as a nation, like, you know, this, this question of, you know, should we have national healthcare, healthcare for all, or whatever you want to call it? You know, I think we need to create a freaking health force. Like you got the army, Navy, air force, Marines, let's have the health force that's committed to like fighting pandemics. Not only just like the military does, they don't just fight wars when they happen. They try to work to prevent wars from happening and, and, um, get involved in conflicts before they explode. You know, we need that for health. Um, and not only for our nation, but for the entire planet. And I, I feel like, man, of all the things that, you know, it pisses me off when I read that 51% of every discretionary dollar that I pay to the government goes to the military. And, but I think, well, if that's the case, why don't we make a branch of the military that's just dedicated to training doctors, nurses, getting people who are off the street who would normally go in and pick up a rifle and get them to pick up, you know, a stethoscope or whatever, whatever their tools are um, for health. And so that we take this seriously because it's as we, as this pandemic um, has shown us, you know, something that happens in Wuhan, China, which I, is a city I'd never even heard of. You know? <laughs> and it's a city of like 5 million people or something. I never even heard of it. You know, and now, and that, that now has reached, reached us all over the whole world, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you just, just think about that for a second. It's spread through breath and there's no place on the world from that one person's breath in Wuhan that there's no place on the world where that person's breath has not gone now. Yeah. You know, that's how connected we are. And so we really, truly are a family and, um, and we've got to, we've got to start living like one. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you about that actually, because first of all, I think that was beautifully said and you know, you, you are in your music and then I think in the way you show up in the world, which is, uh, I think always a testament, you know, some people preach one thing and maybe practice others and, um, you know, none of us are perfect, but I, you know, having watched you and, and, and known you for a few years now, I feel like you consistently show in, show up day in, day out, um, in, in seeing others and their humanity. And I remember mm-hmm. when I lived up, up in the Bay for about five years, uh, you had gone over to, to the war zone, Iraq, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. I, I think it was Afghanistan. I went to Iraq. Like, yeah. In Iraq. Okay. Just Iraq. But you know, you had, you had gone over there to, to be with the troops, um, you know, obviously your music, I think, speaks to it. But given that we are in this sort of collective, as you said, that one breath has affected us all mm-hmm. and has reminded us of our shared humanity. What, what, does, what does this notion of stay human mean to you, especially mm-hmm. in light of us moving through this collective challenge? Mm. You know, when I went to Iraq in 2004, I, I had been watching the news uh, and the lead up to the war and, and as the war in Iraq started and they kept talking about the social, uh, the, the political cost of the war this is on the news. They're talking about the political cost of the war, the economic cost of the war and the, uh, 
um, the machinery of war, you know, five ton bunker buster bombs and these surgical strikes and all this stuff. And I thought to myself, wow, if you're living in Baghdad, which is a city of millions of people. And I live in San Francisco, a city of millions of people. And they're talking about dropping a bomb in our city. Like there's no way that it cannot affect people. And yet no one was talking about the loss of life. No one was talking about the disruption of everyday living. Um, and I was curious about it. So I took my guitar and some friends and I hopped on a flight to Oman, Jordan and took a 16 passenger plane into Baghdad. And I just played music for people in the street. So I'd walk around, I'd play for Iraqi civilians in the daytime and I'd go play for us soldiers at night. And, um, one day I went and visited this hospital and there was 30 kids in this room and they were all children who had been, um, uh, blown up by weapons through cluster bombs through these bombs that put out of these little plastic balls that are like grenades and they're blue and yellow colorful balls. A kid sees this ball of, un, of an unexploded um, cluster bomb and goes and kicks it or picks it up. And now their legs are missing, you know? And so I went around to each kid in this room. There's 30 kids who had all had various um, loss of limbs and other things. And um, the, their mothers or grandmothers were living and sleeping in the same bed with them in this hospital. And this doctor kept telling me, we have to hurry, got to hurry. Gotta. And I was like, no, I want to spend some time and sing a song and talk to each kid. And I went around the room and, and at the end of me doing that, um, this, uh, the doctor, she comes up to me and she says, look, I don't mean to rush you, but we have six more floors. And my heart just sunk. I was like, this is what we're doing to each other. And now at night, I'm going to go play for these soldiers who may have been the ones who did this to one of these kids. I don't know. And what do I say to them? How do I communicate to these both of these groups of people? And there was a very wise woman I was traveling with who was um, 70 years old at the time. She's, her name is Barbara Lubin. And she said, I, I was like stressing out. She could see it on my face. I was like, what am I going to sing to these soldiers tonight? And she said, you know, Michael, it's not important what you sing to them or what you say to them. What's important is you let them know that you're here just to be with them. And that's all you got to do. You just have to show up and listen and hear their story. And from that, I learned that there's, there's no one in the world that you wouldn't love if you knew their story. So I would sit in the daytime, I'd sit and I'd talk with Iraqi families about their lives. And then I would sit at night and I'd listen to these soldiers who told me like, hey, I signed up for the army the day uh, on September 12th, 2001, the day after nine 11, because I thought I was coming here to do um, something good. And now I see we're here like beating down the doors of families and like, I don't even know why, why I'm here, you know? And, and, and so to just hear the stories, um, you develop empathy and you develop that love for, for somebody else. And I feel like that's the, the first step, like where we get stuck in our world today, like in America right now, with it's just the division of, of, um, you know, politically in our country and the division racially and the divisions uh, on gender and sexuality and religion, and so many things, all these little ways that we choose to carve people up. Um, but at the end of the day, again, there's that one guy breathes one breath in Wuhan and it affects everybody. You know, and love is the same way and kindness mm -hmm. is the same way.
when you when you practice that kindness and you share it with other people, it spreads like a beautiful, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to call it a virus. <laughs> it's something cooler than that. Um, it's the antidote. It's the antidote. And, um, and so, you know, uh, I, I feel like a commitment to trying to inspire that. And that's why I make music. It's the mantra of our hotel here is to create that kind of atmosphere for, for people. And it's, it's every day. My wife and I, we have, we have a um, saying it's inside of our wedding rings and it's be your best, serve the greater good and rock out wherever you are. And <laughs> what that, what that means is it's like, it doesn't mean be the best. It means be your best. Like try to find a way to get to your growing edge and challenge yourself to do something new, to break a bad habit and create a new habit um, and serve the greater good. It means take whatever you were born with or whatever you've earned and grown through in life and then find a way to give it back to your family, your community, your nation and the planet. And then the final thing, rock out wherever you are is make it be fun, find ways to make it be fun, you know? And, and I think that that's the great challenge for all of us today. It's like, so, yeah, we're waking up to this new reality and we're waking up to this new reality for as a nation and as a, as a planet and also for ourselves in terms of our own personal wellness, mindfulness and health. Um, and ha- the challenge is that if it's not fun and if there's not joy that we find in in some part of it, because it's going to be really freaking hard work. You know, it's no fun quarantining for anybody. It's no fun not having a paycheck for the last, you know, three months, which could be the next 18 months. It's not, it's no fun um, waking up and reading the statistics every day. And it's no fun. The worry that we have for our children who are now, you know, just being born or who are graduating into this world, like none of this is fun. It's hard work, but how can we find joy in it so that we can do it over a sustainable um, length of time. And that's really what I'm dedicated to in my music now is to, is, is to help people find the joy or at least the ease of heart so that um, their emotions inside can pass through. I feel that I, uh, it was, I've been in, in my own moments of challenge during this time, I've looked to sort of music obviously has, has been principal but also thought about folks like uh, Victor Frankl and Nelson Mandela, folks who had gone through just extreme adversity mm-hmm. and yet used it, uh, as it occurs to me, as composts for mm-hmm. new gardens, new yeah. realities. And uh, it was interesting because was, I was listening. I think it was – I think it's one of your newer songs, but it was – I think it's I'm on your side. I'm on your side, you yeah. Had just, you had just posted the video of it. And I was, it was, it was a day for me that was, you know, I think like all of us, it's some, some days are harder than others, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, the grief is, is nonlinear. And as, as you said, we're in a mm-hmm. collective mourning and then I'm also in a, in a deep personal mourning. But that, that notion of, there were two things, actually, a, a friend, mutual friend of ours, Guapale, actually, mm-hmm. when Withers passed, uh, sang lean on me with her daughter. And, mm-hmm. uh, when she sang, uh, I think another mutual friend of ours, Amos Lee, uh, my dad, actually John Prime was playing in the background when my dad passed. And, mm. uh, and so, uh, when Amos sang, and then when you sang, it was like, it was, it was actually like, it hit me in this way of like, 
obviously having thrown a music festival, I'm, I'm, you know, music is a deep passion, but then there's also for me something to the song of the moment, you know, that resonance that is both so timely, but also evergreen. So, so timeless, if you will. And for me, um, that song hit me like that. And, mm-hmm. and I think the beautiful visuals that you captured in the video. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, what music as someone who's been bringing forth um, a level of musicality for, for, for a good period of time and inspiring so many people? What, 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 is, what is your dance or your relationship like with music? I mean, I'm sure Joy, as you just mentioned, yeah. is a core part of it, but um, I'd love to hear how you relate to music. Yeah. Music is, is my medicine. And mm. I believe that music is the sound of feelings. So if, if painting is how you draw feelings or a film is how you express it, you know, visually music is the sound of feelings. And, and so, um, when, uh, it's like, it's like mirroring, you know, when you see somebody smile, you can't help but smile. If you see somebody who's, tearing up it makes makes you kind of tear up too and um music is is when you capture your feelings and you're able to put it in a song you share it with somebody else they mirror that and so maybe you're feeling something in a way that is uh that that someone else has never experienced um but it's already inside them and so they they can feel what it was that you were feeling and, and that's healing, like uh, that, that, that ease of heart, that letting go of emotions and letting them have a chance to breathe. It's like the best way to get happy is to, is to cry. I mean, really, it's like the best way to get happy is when you're really sad, you fucking cry it out, and then you go, hey, you know, I feel better than I did when I was crying a few minutes ago. <laughs> now the happy juice comes in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so... You know, but but so so much of our life is is about going from one high to the next, or one dopamine hit on the phone to the next, or one food thing to the next, or one TV show to the next, and and very little of it is about sitting with the way that we're feeling, and um, and that's what I think is great about music is that. It's different. Uh, like I'm somebody who practices yoga and part of the yoga practice is to sit in or, or be putting ourselves in uncomfortable shapes so that it brings up feelings, sensation, and then we have to learn to breathe through those sensations. Or I started um, underwater training. Um, mm. uh, I, I, I sent a message to, to Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton and I was like, teach me how to do the underwater fitness you guys are doing. So I got some dumbbells. They showed me some things. <laughs> And I'm walking the, the length of a pool underwater carrying weights and, and doing all these different exercises. And the thing is you get under there and you start running out of breath and your mind goes into like panic mode and goes, mm-hmm. I got to get out. Of here, I got to get out of here. And then you slow down and you calm down. You take a second and you go, okay, I have another second. And now I have another second. And now I have another second. And pretty soon 10 seconds went by that you weren't able to do yesterday. You know, and um, it's that learning to like quiet our mind, learning to not attach um, so many um, 
uh, judgments to our what what it is we're feeling, and being able to um, then be with the emotion and, and let it pass with ease, and and that's that's what music does for me. I put on a song and it, and it, and it does that to me without me having to go underwater or get into a crazy yoga pose. It does it for me just as I'm laying on my bed. Yeah. Or dancing. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Dancing as well. What's that? That's an African proverb. I think something like, uh, if you, if you can talk, sing, and if you can walk, dance, Yeah. that that feels right. Um, how is your music, how is your relationship to music? It sounds like, there's been an evolution. Obviously you had a relationship to wellness, but it sounds like in the last it's recently that you had a real, um, catalyst in your journey. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because I think a lot of folks may have the intellectual information to know that they need to change or to mm-hmm. want to change. Yeah. But oftentimes that catalyst that keeps you, um, that, that gets you, gets you and keeps you committed, right? You had talked mm-hmm. about habits yeah. earlier. Yeah. And I know you're I know you're extraordinarily hardworking, but what what for you was the catalyst to taking this wellness to the next level? And mm-hmm. and what what in moments of let's call it in using weather as a metaphor on the cloudy days mm-hmm. when you don't feel like it, like what keeps yeah. you in that commitment? Yeah. Well, the, I guess the biggest thing for me was or the most humbling thing for me in the last, uh, you know, five, six years has been that, um, you know, I have, when, when I was, I have two adult sons who are both grown and out of the house and I was a very young dad. Um, and I, um, I thought that my kids, when, when my first son was born, I, I was just, I was 20 years old when I conceived him. And, um, I thought it was going to be the end of my life basically, as I knew it, it's like, man, my life is going to be, you know, uh, so different and I'm not gonna be able to do all the things I want. And, and so as he was growing up, uh, I felt this need to sort of like get him into the next thing. Like, okay. You you know, and I, and I was, I was a broke artist and trying to make music and working, you know, uh, I was a bike messenger in the day and I worked at a nightclub at night and I had just a few hours in the evening when I'd hang with my kid. And, and then I had one hour after he went to sleep that I could write lyrics. And that was, became my thing was to just write lyrics. So I was living this really crazy life. But the, the idea was like, just get him to the next day, get him to the next thing, get him to the next thing, you know? And now I have a son. And for me, the wake up call that you were asking about was like, I don't want him to go to the next day. Like I want to experience today with him because that time with my other kids, it went by so fast and now I'm 54 and my wife is, is uh, 17 and a half years younger than me. And I'm thinking like, how am I going to be around for my kid and how am I going to be around for my wife? And so I lost a lot of sleep over it. It was like, man, I, I was like, am I even making the right decision being in this relationship? Like, what am I doing? You know? And, and then it, and then it was my wife who was like, you know, if you just take care of yourself, you, you might outlive me. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, and, and I never thought about it that way. You know, it's like, it was like, there's no, and what she was saying was not that you, any prediction. She was just saying like, there's no guarantee in life. You know, there's no, there's no guarantee for us that, that we have even tomorrow. And, and especially now with COVID, we don't know. And, 
And so I have to, um, first of all, be grateful for the time I have. Second of all, appreciate every precious second. And then third, really um, use that as motivation to want to be here and show up for my family um, and, and be able to have, be, be able to say to them, I got you, you know, I've got you and not have them always say, no, we got you, you know, it's, it's got, I want it to be both ways. And, um, you know, I think collectively that's something that we, I see that's happening. It's really beautiful out of this whole struggle is that people are waking up and they're, I'm getting texts from people in my life that I haven't heard from in 15 years. And they're like, it's not, Hey bro. Oh, we hear you're coming to town to play a show. I get those texts sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get some tickets? <laughs> it's not that it's, it's people who are writing me saying, saying, um, Hey, how you doing with this whole thing? You know, like, how's your family? Are you guys, are you guys okay? Are, are you all healthy? You know, how are, how are you guys financially? Like, like, pe- like deep concern and people saying, if there's anything I can do for you, like just, just reach out, you know, whether it's just to talk on the phone and I'll just listen or whether you have an idea that you want to share or like, what, like I'm here for you. I got you. And, and we have a new single that's out that's called that. That's, and it's, and it's, it was written from that place of, of, of saying that no matter what, through the highs and the lows, I've got you and, and I'm holding you. And, and, and I think it's just really amazing to see the way that people have found creative ways, whether it's um, folks in Italy, you know, doing collective concerts on their balconies or the way that people have been celebrating our frontline workers, or if it's the way that people are waking up and seeing like uh, that the issues that we've overlooked for so long, like homelessness, like it doesn't work for us anymore to have people who are homeless on our front doorsteps. If, if we are, could potentially be passing COVID onto them or them passing COVID onto us, you know, and, and, and we've, and, and then, and them not having the health capabilities if they get sick to be able to take care of it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's just a whole new way of waking up to this, this community that we have. Yeah. I think that's, uh, very on point. And I, I, and I, I hope that we do all wake up, um, I think that's what's being called called forth, and mm-hmm. I think music is and has been uh, one of the most profound tools. I think to 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 foster that yeah. that awakening, if you will, yeah. you know, again revisiting sort of apartheid, uh, anti apartheid movement in South Africa, and just like some mm-hmm. of those powerful visuals of literally people on the street oh, yeah. singing and dancing amidst you know and up against armed uh, oppressors, just like so. Um, so powerful and you know as you as you think about and, and you know you sort of I'm, I'm just curious to see as you've gone if you as you deepen this inner I mean you've obviously been on a deep inner journey let me not let me not say that but as you've taken your wellness if you will mm-hmm. to the next level in this mm-hmm. you also I know are coming out with uh, you know a new album and you've been releasing some of the some of the tracks how has your relationship, because I'm always fascinated by the relationship between our inner worlds and the outer world, you mm-hmm. know, like how we yeah. as vessels, um, 
um, channel, that which is being shared with us, if you will, yeah. if you believe in that. But how yeah. has, it sounds like you've been doing a lot of work to clean out your vessel. I, yeah. For me as well, I've now, I didn't make a hard rule, but like I've been seven months uh, off alcohol. And for example, mm-hmm. and I wasn't an alcoholic by any means. I also yeah. love mezcal and all that. Yeah. But, um, but, but being with my father and being through this whole quarantine stone cold sober has been a, such a gift, you know, mm-hmm. and the creativity, the idea is just like, and reaching out to folks, like, you know, I've known you for years, but just like the, some of the people I'm reaching out to and it, it, that same, yeah. that same spirit of what you're discussing w- with your, your people reaching out to you, what, what do you notice coming through you, um, mm-hmm. as you, as you move through this time and you sort of, um, kind of, uh, take your own wellness even more seriously? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I come from an alcoholic household. Um, I grew mm-hmm. up, my father was an alcoholic and, um, when I was 17, I ran away from home because of his alcoholism. And uh, we had an intervention. I went, when I ran away, I went to a friend's uh, father who had, he'd seen my, he'd known my dad and he'd known that my dad was an alcoholic from about five years before. And he had told me, there's going to be a time when you're going to have to face this. And so, um, and he had even brought me as a 12 year old, he had even brought me to some adult children of alcoholics meetings, um, knowing that this would come up in my life at some point. So we had an intervention for my dad. My dad eventually stopped drinking, but a couple months later I left the house and I was, I was, um, you know, went to university and kind of left that world behind. And, and when I said goodbye to it, it was like, I'm leaving it, you know, like, I don't want that life. I don't want to be that way. Um, but my father had uh, a stroke. It was four years before he died. He had a stroke and when he had a stroke, it was like he blossomed into this really, really beautiful person. He'd gone from this really insular person. He had like two, two emotions. There's like quiet and isolation or rage. And the only thing in between was like cynicism, <laughs> you know, and sarcasm. That was it. Um, and, then, but after his stroke, he blossomed in this really beautiful, caring person. He made amends to everyone in his life he had ever heard, including myself. And I went and I had lunch with him. We, we grew up, we had five kids in the family, and I was adopted into the family. And I, I always felt kind of like an outsider in the family, you know. But I went and I had lunch with him, and it was the only time I ever had lunch with my dad alone because we had so many kids just wasn't a thing in our house. Um, and I said, dad, you know, it's amazing how much you've changed. You really, you really softened and you've become this like really heart based person. And, and he said, you know, Michael, I I haven't changed. And I was like the trombone of disappointment went off in my head. I was like, (laughs) I was like, what do you mean you haven't changed? I see you changed. He said, no, he said, what I mean is I haven't changed. I've always been this person. It's just that I was never able to express it to you. And so for the longest time, it was like I was walking around with this giant stone in front of my heart. And when I stopped drinking and when I had the stroke, it's like suddenly something kicked in for me different that made me say, I don't want to carry this stone around anymore. And, and, and so as I've been on my, you know, wellness journey the last year, 
Um, I also have uh, really stopped drinking. Every now and then I'll have, you know, a drink maybe, you know, once a month or something. I might have a glass of wine at, at a dinner or something like that. But um, it, it came for me because my, um, this woman I mentioned before, Christina, said to me, you know, if, if you drink alcohol, what it's doing is it's putting your wellness journey on pause. And what she means by that is like in terms of your fitness of like losing weight, it's like putting it on pause when you drink that alcohol. But in terms of every emotional thing that you have that comes up, it doesn't make it go away and doesn't make it better. It just puts it on pause till tomorrow morning when you wake up. And so that's what I feel alcohol was in my life was this pause button. And mm. I don't feel like you said, I, I, I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't like out there r- raging or living a crazy life or having my life fall apart. Cause I had to find the nearest bar or whatever. But every time I drank, it was like putting today's problems on pause until tomorrow. And it was putting today's health, you know, in terms of what it was going on with my body on pause until my next workout or until my next good meal, until my next, you know, liter of water I drank or whatever. And so I, cut down to just saying uh, part of my thing was creating these little goals that I could do once a week. So I would have goals like this week, I'm going to sleep 15 more minutes a night than I did last week. And, and then it was like, I'm going to only have two glasses of or two drinks this week and uh, keep track of it. Some days I'd really be good at some weeks. I wasn't as good at it, but then it was like, it all started to add up in my, these little goals that I'd make week by week, they started to, become mass shifts till finally it was like one day I woke up and I was like, wow, I haven't had a glass of alcohol in a couple months, you know, and I didn't even think about it, you know? And the same thing was, was for me, um, smoking weed years ago. I used to be a wake and bake person. I'd go to the studio and hit the computer, turn it on. And, and while the computer was booting up, uh, the, you know, the, the Apple sound would be like bong. And then I'd go bong, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and while the computer was booting up, I would have my first bong head at like 11 in the morning and I'd smoke all day into the, into the night. And then when I was done, I'd listen back to the music I made. And the best way to enjoy that was to have a split and sit on the couch and listen mm-hmm. to it. And then I'd show up the next day at work and I'd listen to what I'd done and spend all this time. And I'd be like, what the fuck was I smoking? That shit sounds terrible. <laughs> what was I thinking, man? You know, a 15 minute song about getting high. Who wants to listen to that? You know, <laughs> And so, uh, and so what happened to me with that is I started practicing yoga and I noticed that when I get into down dog in the morning, if I had smoked a bunch of weed the night before, I'd have like a headache feeling when I, when I bent over and my head was lower than my heart. And so I was just like, Oh, I'm not going to smoke tonight. Cause I know I'm going to go to a yoga class tomorrow. And then I'm not going to smoke, um, this morning because I have a little yoga class this afternoon. And eventually it was just like, wow couple months had gone by and I, and I, and I hadn't smoked weed anymore. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm somebody who loves these things. Like I, I love the feeling of a glass of tequila. I love the feeling of, of getting high, of smoking some weed. And I love the whole process of it. I love rolling it, chopping it, cutting it, talking about it. I loved all that stuff and still do. But I found that those are things that hit the pause button for me. And I don't want to live in a constant state of being on pause. I want to live in the flow. It's like, it's like what we see with the economy right now. It's like, it's like, I'm thinking like, where did all the money go? And like overnight, <laughs> like the money disappeared. And, and the thing is the money didn't go anywhere. Everyone still has the money. 
It's just that you're not, it's, it's on pause. No one's sharing it. And so when you share it now, every, now the economy goes into a depression and it's just like the body, you know, when the body gets depressed is when we don't, we don't let our emotions go. So, so like, I guess these are the observations I've been making. Like wellness isn't some fancy mumbo jumbo spiritual thing. It's like, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to fucking get sick. And if I'm worried about shit, I'm not going to get enough sleep. And if I don't talk about stuff or have a good cry when shit makes me worried, then it, then I get stuck and I get depressed. And it's the same thing with the economy. If, they, if, we, if we're not spending dollars with each other, the economy gets stuck and we have a depression. It's like all these things are, are the same. And then the key to it, how do we get out of it? It's like to move. And how do we get out of it? It's to create fun and have laughter and music and joy in the workout and in the process so that we can, um, can make it be sustainable. So we enjoy doing it, you know, and that, that, that really is what I see as, as that musical medicine coming in again, it's just, it's, it's that grease. It's that joy. It's that love. It's a thing that, that makes us laugh and dance and sing our way through the journey. Like what you're describing in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, a couple things I just want to, shout out there so you you basically mentioned that idea of stagnation i think Mm -hmm. disease is that stagnation and like you said health and movement i was up in um in a river and just looking like at the part where it had stagnated and it was like bugs and kind of like gross you know it was like sludge but yet where the rapids were moving it was like i thought about bruce lee and i just thought about like you know the notion i was like and it actually for me and looking at the river i was like you know what i gotta i gotta shift up my the way i'm moving my body i gotta start moving more because health is movement and to the second point where you were like i I love 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 the notion of saying you know what not making it wrong bad i was just putting it on pause and i feel like i can relate to that there was a Mm -hmm. there's Cause some stuff you, you know, sometimes you need to do a little pause, but sometimes you're just like, I just don't want to deal with that. So I keep hitting pause and it doesn't go anywhere, but you know, I'm hitting pause. But like you said, and I think a lot of people get caught up, including myself, you know, and it's gotta be this huge momentous move forward. But oftentimes that's like proceeding with just a little bit better every day. You know, like that's what I was hearing from you. Cause it's like, that's the same thing. Like instead of now, like, yeah, I used to, I'm still a big goals person, I guess. But like now I'm, I'm a little bit more on the like 1% every day. If I can get like a little bit better than I was and how I show up than yesterday. And if I don't, you know what, start over again tomorrow. It's all good. But I love that that ethos. I want to be uh, really mindful of your time, uh, Michael. And I'm so so grateful that you shared, um, you know, so deeply of yourself. Really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about what you've got going on because you you've been amidst this period of wellness gestating qu- quite a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, musically, obviously, you've got. Uh, you know, you got a new podcast, you've got, you know, you've got uh, soul shine, you're leading retreats. Can you just share a little bit about what you're, what, you, what you've been building and creating mm-hmm. for, for those that are listening? Yeah. Well, we've got a, a film called stay human, which is out on iTunes and it's, and it's about five people that I met around the world who have changed my life. And they were just ordinary people who were doing extraordinary things to make a difference in the lives of other people. One of them is a rapper in South Africa who literally grows up in a tin shack and he puts himself through university. And the reason that he does is so that he can teach other kids in his neighborhood about business, the business of me. He wants to start a record label. Another is a a woman who's just a few kilometers from here 
where I am now in Bali, um, who started a, a natural birthing center here and where I meet up with her in the film. It was after the big hurricane that occurred in, in the Philippines and she's there, you know, there's, they're pulling dead bodies out of the rubble and their ship giant ships on land. And, and she's like, just cause these things are happening. Doesn't mean the baby's going to hit pause and say, I'm not coming out. The baby's still going to come out mm-hmm. when they want to, when they're ready. Um, so there's just, um, these really inspiring stories. And what I did is when I finished collecting all these stories, I, I wanted to tell the story of not only how inspiring they were, um, on their own. Another as a guy named Steve December, who's living with the very advanced stages of ALS. And, um, Steve actually just died about a month ago. Um, and he was one of the most inspiring people that I ever met. And so in the film, I try to share not only their stories, but how those stories move me and change me. And, um, and then the other thing we're, we're working on a lot right now is just, um, here at the, at our hotel in soul shine is, is, is changing it from being just yoga centered to being all around wellness centered. So we're, we're building, uh, uh, we're taking this downtime when you can't at a hotel, you like, it's, it's funny. It's like, Oh, we want to do a new project here, but we can't cause it's, it's filled. So now we're able to do all the things that we wanted to do here that we couldn't because it makes too much dust and noise. So we're building a great, uh, weight room here. We built two new yoga rooms here, We've added uh, another um, pool that we can do underwater training in, um, and so we're we're we've just created it to be a place where wellness is fun, and that's our that's our new mantra here: make wellness fun. And um, and then musically, we've started to think of ways that we can do our concert experience. And my, my concerts are very tactile. Like I love to get in the audience. I hug all these fans. I'm out there. But really what I realized during this time is that a concert is just an exchange of energy and we're having one right now, you know, and whoever's listening to this podcast is having one with us as well. And, and so you can still create that exchange of energy when you have this um, incredible two way conversation um, platforms that happen. So through, through zoom or through other platforms, we're working on some live concerts. I've done a couple already. And, and I, I, th- I, w- I went into it a little bit skeptical. Like, uh, why would somebody sit at home and watch me? There's they, they could have net. There's, there's fucking Netflix. There's CNN. There's like porn. There's like, you know, a million things that you can on Instagram posts that you could watch. It's like, why would they want to see me play my guitar and sing? But it's that exchange of energy. Again, it's like, mm-hmm it's it's this thing where when you you see somebody and 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 you hear them and then they're able to respond back to you which feels so good um one other thing that's it's really been a, a blessing and a savior for us as a family financially right now has been cameo which is where mm-hmm. people can um book you to basically do a shout out for their friend and mm-hmm. and and you know, I was like, I, I was kind of skeptical about it at first. Like, oh, that's kind of cheesy or whatever. But like, like you know, someone pays a bunch of money. I have Snoop Dogg go, yo, what's up, homie? And, you know, and, and <laughs> but, but my wife and I were like, how can we make this be like really meaningful for people? And so instead of just doing like a 30 second thing, we asked people like, what's your favorite song? What is it? Is there somebody you want to dedicate it to? 
tell us what they're going through. And, you know, we've had all these incredible things where people write to us and say, my wife has cancer. She just found out it's mother's day. Can you sing her the song life is better with you or, or I'm on your side or our son just is graduating next week and his graduation has been canceled and you worked this hard to get through high school and now he's got nothing to celebrate it. And please, you know, sing him a song and send him a message. So, so we found it's been this really moving thing and, and people send us the reaction videos and, um, and it's, it's been really neat to see it's, and, and it's been a, like, I, I, I think it's been a really great way for bands to support fans and for fans to support unemployed bands, you know? Yeah. And so it's actually been, it's actually been a savior in, in our, in our house. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. I actually checked them out. Cause I mentioned, as I mentioned to you, you know, having gone from events and music festivals and so forth, I've been looking uh, at the digital model myself and yeah. seeing actually some other friends on um, my friend, Tom and a few others on, on cameo, Mike Tyson's on Acon, mm-hmm. and they had did a, a, a done a philanthropic uh, concert. Yeah. And I was like, what a great application, right? Like exactly yeah. what you're saying where you're taking the state, you know, the human ethos and yeah. you're actually like, and I feel like quite honestly, I mean, that that's the thing is like, how do we, to sort of bring it full circle like how do we maintain that sense of human our shared humanity Mm -hmm. and our shared connection in the era of social distancing you know and social isolation and like you you know i definitely uh have a bias towards you know uh some well at times at least some of the you know obviously the advantages of physical touch and being in a in an incredible experience Mm -hmm whether it be a ritual in Sri Lanka or a music festival with a hundred thousand people, there's definitely a time there's medicine in that. No question. But I think like you said, there's also, I think a medicine in using your voice and taking the, the challenge, the shit, if you will, and turning it as compost yeah. into, into new gardens. And I think what yeah. a beautiful way, if you can reach out to someone going through a hard time and, and share, mm-hmm. share that that's, that's special. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to acknowledge you, um, Michael Franci. I, I think, you, you've been uh, contributing a gift of your music uh, for uh, decades. And, and mm-hmm. I know that being the kind of person who holds space for that number of people, mm-hmm. because you're not just a musician, yeah. you are in a way a, a social alchemist and people come to you with their challenges, their heart. You know, I, I watched Stay human. I mean, it, it was moving, mm-hmm. you know, like the degree to which um, you can evoke. So, I just want to acknowledge you because, you know, uh, since I was living in Oakland and now I've known you, I, we saw each other again about 10 years ago before we launched Global Citizen here in L.A. Mm-hmm. And then I've been, uh, you know, following your journey. And I just want to acknowledge you for how you show up day in, day out and continuing to evolve, being committed to your own humility and humanity. Mm-hmm. And in so being a gift to those who are uh, who are going through their own human journey. And, mm. uh, and, 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 and being reminded of the, of the fact that we're all on it together, even though sometimes we're all in it together. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're all in it together. <laughs> That's it. Okay. So last, my, one of my final question is if you, if you were in a place, so the, let's just say we're in a theoretical universe, uh, yeah. where all the songs you've ever sang, you know, your film, like all of the, the aspects of your legacy, uh, were to vanish and you had and, and all of humanity was listening to Michael Franti and it doesn't have to be poetic, but if you were to say, you know, your core message, like what you 
feel like mm-hmm. your reason for being here on this planet is mm-hmm. um how would you and i know this, this is a rather big question but is, is there mm-hmm. anything that comes to mind for you that would be your sort of your words back to your your fellow brothers and sisters out there well you know sometimes i was thinking like you know if if i had a tombstone you know what would mm-hmm. it say on it and i would want it to say he was helpful mm-hmm. and um you know as, as a musician, you know, and a, you know, professional touring artist, there's all these things that you're doing all the time. You create the music, you're rehearsing, you're working with the band, you're promoting the record. You, there's all these things you're dealing with management. There's bookkeeping, there's finances for putting a tour on, on a larger scale each year. And there's all these things you get wrapped up in. But at the end of the day, it's that thing of like, when someone hears my music, does it help them? Does it, did I help somebody like, I don't know if world, I don't know if music can change the world overnight, but I know for sure it can help someone get through a difficult night. And that's what I want. I want to be there for people when they're going through their greatest challenges and, and be that um, spirit of optimism, that, that, that light that someone says, Hey, we're going to get there. Let's just stay the course. Let's just keep fighting. Let's just keep keep loving. Let's keep and and keep laughing our way through it. Keep dancing our way through it, and we'll get there. You know. So that's it. I I want. I hope to be helpful during this life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I can say you've been helpful to me, and uh, I think all of us are looking forward to dancing with you on the journey, my man. Thank you right so on. much, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, man. It's a great talk, brother. Um, and there you have it. I uh, love my conversation with Michael Franci. I hope you did too. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. He's got me thinking about my, my health routine and, and how I look at wellness uh, in new ways, which is always what I love when I talk to guests on this show, uh, as well as what it means to be human. So I hope you got a lot of value. Um, sending you guys so much love during these challenging times. Um, if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the world to me if you went ahead and left uh, a five-star review on uh, iTunes. The ratings and reviews help us grow in the algorithm and helps us get this word out to more and more people. Also helps me get better guests for you guys uh, because as the show grows, um, you know we're, we're able to get more and more wonderful guests, which is my commitment to you. So I hope you guys are doing really well out there, staying healthy, staying strong, sending you guys so much love. Uh, And uh, with that, go out there and live your inspired life.